0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Clark. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Kingwood Church. And it is my privilege today to be part of our staff series this summer. And I'm gonna be speaking to you out of the Psalms in our series that we call Everyday Prayer. So I'm excited to be here this morning and to get to share with you. But just before uh, I start that, I wanna ask you to uh, just be praying for our missions team from Kingwood. We have a team of 21 people that are leaving this Saturday and we are going to the island nation of St. Kitts and Nevis where we'll be doing construction and we'll be doing humanitarian ministry and evangelism. You know, we take missions trips at Kingwood because we believe that changed people change the world. So our vision here at Kingwood involves every person who's a part of Kingwood Church taking a missions trip at least one time in their lives. In fact, missions trips are one of the next steps that we offer here at Kingwood Church for men and women and young people. So maybe your next step is to go on a missions trip. I wanna tell you our next opportunity is Romania uh, this November, and we do have a few spaces remaining on that team. We'll be working with a dynamic ministry there that is meeting needs and reaching people in a tangible way with the love of Jesus. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to the Kingwood Church website and follow the Next Steps link, find out information, and even sign up for the opportunity there. We would love to have you. Well, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 37, written by King David in the latter part of his life. It's one of the better-known psalms. It's got some passages that are very quotable by Christians. Jesus himself even quoted this psalm, drawing one of the Beatitudes from it when preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's considered to be what's called a wisdom psalm because it's written not to God, but it's written to man about God. Wisdom psalms instruct the worshiper in the way of righteousness. They are especially appropriate in times of decision when we're searching for God's will or searching for direction. Another interesting feature of Psalm 37 is that it is written as an acrostic poem. That means each stanza of the psalm begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and they are ordered alphabetically. So that arrangement made it easier for the Jewish people to memorize and to recite this psalm. However, for the Western mind... Like ours, it makes it a little harder to follow because it doesn't flow in a linear fashion where one principle builds upon another and leads to a conclusion. So instead, this psalm really feels more like something out of the book of Proverbs. My approach this morning then will not be to try to plow through the psalm or or to try to cover every verse, but there are some clear themes present that we will draw from. As we begin this psalm, One major theme emerges right out of the gate. So let's read in verse 1 and verse 2. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, like green plants, they will soon die away. I want to drill down this morning on the instruction do not fret. But before I do, I want to identify from that passage we just read two targets of that fretting. David says, those who are evil and those who do wrong. There's no way to adequately categorize all of the wrongdoing that exists in the world today. But would you agree in the context of what Pastor Jay just prayed, that evil is present and it is active in our world. That kind of evil, it seeks to destroy the lives of other people, and that's that's one of Satan's calling cards. But there's also an evil that selfishly disregards other people and plows over them in an effort to enrich oneself. I think that's why David said of the second target to not be envious. None of us here are envious of a school shooter. But we might let ourselves become envious of someone who gained an easy life by cheating the system. Whatever evil or wrongdoing we encounter, David said, do not fret. This psalm repeatedly tells us not to be dragged down by observing ungodly people who appear to be successful and even worse, Invulnerable, because things are not as they seem. Now in the Middle East where King David lived, grass and vegetation thrived in the rainy season. But then when the rain stopped falling, it disappeared. The hot sun began to scorch the earth. So the patch of green grass that appears to be the wicked person's life is temporary. It is no well-watered garden, but a thin covering with shallow roots. And when summer comes, that green patch will be scorched. That is the future destiny of the wrongdoer. So the psalmist tells us with great emphasis three times in the first eight verses, do not fret. The Hebrew word, for fret is harah, which literally means to burn or to be kindled with anger. The context refers to anger that is internalized because it has no outlet to be expressed directly toward the person who deserves it. Psalm 37 then makes the case how we as people of faith should deal with the human impulse to fret. And I want to share those thoughts with you this morning. Here's the first one. Fretting turns what's happening on the outside against what's happening on the inside. Never in any age in human history have we had as much access to real-time information about all of the bad things that are happening around us. We are bombarded <clears throat> with negativity and fear our nation is divided. The most vulnerable among us feel unsafe. The economy, that has been the security blanket for so many Americans, is shaking. And we are struggling to find our footing coming out of a pandemic. If the word for fretting means internalizing anger and looking for somewhere to direct that anger, then I can't think of a more timely word from scripture than David telling us, do not fret. We we might say it this way. Don't get worked up. Don't get overheated. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. But some days if, if I'm honest and if you're honest, it sure looks like evil's gonna win. And fretting takes concerns over which I have very little direct control and causes them to be implanted in a spin cycle in my mind that goes around and around and around. But it's been famously said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere. You just rock back and forth emotionally Now, God does care about our mental health and our emotional well-being, so he inspired David to pen this psalm to help us keep what's happening on the outside from getting on the inside of us. Over and over again, David tells us that while evil may appear to be prevailing now, God is still active, and there will be a reckoning for those who pursue evil. That reckoning may not come immediately, But it is certain, and it may even be sudden. I want to share just a few verses that corroborate that thought in Psalm 37. Verse 10, it says, A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. In verse 20, it says, Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed, they will go up in smoke. Verses 35 and 36 says, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. David repeats this idea over and over again that God will address evil, but embedded in these verses is the admission that in the here and now, it may look like evil ways are paying off. But God is telling us here, it's a matter of perspective. Think of this analogy with me. Imagine a camera that's zoomed in on a succulent ribeye steak dinner with all the trimmings being served on a white tablecloth and being consumed with great pleasure by a person who is guilty of wrongdoing now we may look at that and say now hold on I'm I'm trying to do the right things over here and I'm eating hamburger helper (laughs) but what God speaks through this psalm is using the same analogy we need to zoom the camera out to get his perspective what if the meal I just described is inside of a state penitentiary And it's the last meal of a man on death row who is a convicted inmate. Well, it doesn't seem quite as appetizing then, does it? In effect, this psalm tells us that getting God's perspective, zooming out the camera, can diffuse our need to fret and worry about what is a temporary situation that God already sees and plans to address. I want you to think about this. Unless their hearts are changed, what the wicked have here on this earth is the best they will ever have in all of their existence. And if the righteous people remain faithful to God, what they have on this earth is the worst they will ever have in all of their existence. God's perspective alone can show us that. Now, here's a second thought this morning. Fretting takes us to a dark place. In verse 8 of Psalm 37, it says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. There it is again. It only leads to evil. We've all heard the expression, if you can't beat them, what? Join them. If you can't beat them, join them. But it's a disturbing trait of humanity that in our brokenness and confusion, we can can actually align ourselves with actions and people whom we once fretted over. We can be worn down to a point that we become a participant in their wrongdoing. How can that be? remember that David said not to be envious of those who do wrong one of the ways that fretting leads to evil is by stirring discontentment in us we compare our circumstances to those of a select few others in the world and we feel a sense of unfairness or injustice and social media does us no favors here it invites those types of comparisons to the people in our orbit you know One of the great benefits to me of missions trips is the way that these experiences shift our paradigm about what it means to be materially wealthy. The average individual in Shelby County, Alabama, where many of us live, makes an income 16 times that of the average global citizen. We are, by worldly standards, incredibly wealthy. But what fretting does is it pressures us to compare ourselves not to the average global citizen, but to the CEO, to the Hollywood star, to Wall Street, to pro-athletes, and to the overstated realities of people on Facebook and Instagram. A pattern of fretting leads us to the faulty conclusion that there is no penalty for joining in the success That we envy. It induces us to cut the same corners. Though wrongdoers succeeded in a way that violated our faith and our values, it seems that neither society nor God stood in their way, so we conclude that it's okay to take our own piece of the pie. And in that mindset, it's hard for us to hear what verse 16 says Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth. Of many wicked. A little that is blessed by God is better than a lot that is under God's curse and will pass away. Our culture is so obsessed with the lives of the rich and the famous and the infamous, but we can see the trail of debris that is associated with their so called success, even in this life. Why would we trade the life that we have in Christ to chase what they have? Have fame and fortune brought joy to those of celebrity status? As I look at these famous icons, past and present, I see a lot of brokenness, a lot of heartache, a lot of emptiness, and a lot of regret. Yet fretting pulls our flesh toward wanting what they have. Now, my training and my work experience before I joined the staff here at Kingwood Church was as a financial auditor for an accounting firm. One of the things that I worked on fairly regularly were were cases of embezzlement. For someone to steal money from an organization, three things always had to be true. Number one, the thief was under some type of financial pressure. Number two, they saw an opportunity to steal without being caught. And number three, they found a way to rationalize their actions. In every case I ever encountered, the thief was the last person you would think capable of violating their morals and their values to steal. I'm amazed at how easily and how often people who were honest and good can be induced by their circumstances To do evil. And that's why I think David implored people of faith to avoid fretting because fretting demands that we act upon our impulses. So what can we do instead? Here's point number three. The antidote to fretting is trusting God. I love verses 3 through 5. Let's read those. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do it. Now, we're getting to the really good stuff now. Trust, take delight, commit. These are strong and active instructions. Now, as a younger believer... I claimed Psalm 37.4 as my life verse. Some of you may have as well. Uh, though I understood it at a very elementary level. Um, I, I claimed it, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I claimed that as a, not only a transaction, but an incredible bargain. <laughs> I will give God what he wants and in return he will give me what I want. You ever thought about that verse that way? But what I I really didn't understand is that delight and desire are connected. Living a life that delights God causes my desires to become aligned to His desires. So if you read this verse and your first thought is, you want to have one of those new Ford Broncos delivered to your doorstep, if your first thought is uh, you, you want to get the deed to a beachfront condo or you want uh, your, to have an easy, secure retirement, if that's your first thought, you can be pretty sure your desires are not yet fully aligned with His. In Derek Kidner's commentary on this psalm, he defined delight as a deliberate redirection of one's emotions. And as I thought about this, I thought, what a, what a brilliant definition. That means we choose our response to external circumstances. When Paul and Silas were in prison, what did they do? They chose to sing praises to God. They chose delight because their desires were aligned with God's purposes. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me, which he did by going to the cross. Now for those who trust and commit and delight, we can confidently give God our fears. Look at verses 14 and 15. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. You know, this, this passage reminds me of the story in the book of Esther of the wicked Haman who plotted to kill Mordecai the Jew. He hated him so much, and he actually built gallows to hang Mordecai on. But God foiled that plan, and in the end, it was Haman who hung on the gallows that he had built. This passage, it also connects me to the promise of Isaiah fifty four seventeen, where it says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Folks, this is a strong basis on which we can live without fear or envy of those who oppose our life and our faith because in the light of eternity, they cannot harm us. So with all of these assurances we're really left with one nagging question. If God really cares about the effects of evil in the world, why does it take so long for Him to make things right? Things aren't right yet, are they? While there are a lot of layers to that question that none of us understand or will understand on this side of heaven, we do know from Scripture... And our own experience that that this much is true. Here's the last point. God's delay is an expression of His mercy. Verse 7 in Psalm 37 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. It's hard for us when we see injustice to just meditate on this verse. Because we're action people. So what, what do we do when we feel that injustice... Is winning. Well, our instincts tell us to go on the attack because fretting produces an urgency to do something, to lash out, to get our position on the record. So many times Christians feel compelled to jump in and bring the heat. And look, neither I nor Psalm 37 says that we shouldn't engage in issues that are important to God's heart to affect change. But what we as Christians must do in bringing the heat is to make sure that we are also being the light. In Ephesians 6.12, it makes clear that our battle, our battle, folks, it's really not against other people. It sure looks that way, but it's really not against other people. It's against spiritual forces in high places. So let me give you an alternative to going on the attack. Partner with God's reason for delay. Partner with it. What is that reason? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We know that God's delay is at least in part motivated by His love for the sinner and His longing to see them be redeemed. So we can either take joy in the thought of their future punishment or we can pray for God's delay to produce good fruit in their lives. It it is hard to pray for the redemption of evil people. Let's just be honest. I remember when our daughter Emma was a, a little girl and she was just learning to pray and, and she went through a short season, and by short, I mean until Kelly and I figured it out, um, where she was praying regularly for the devil to get saved. Now, that's faith. As a dad and a pastor, I had to figure out a way to both affirm her faith and her compassion for the lost. And at the same time, to explain, I was pretty sure that if there was anybody not worth praying for, the, the Prince of Darkness might <laughs> be an example. <laughs> but pretty much everybody else is still fair game. <laughs> now, m- Many of you <clears> have <throat> heard the name John Newton. If, if you know that name, you associate it with the song Amazing Grace, which is probably the most beloved song of our faith. There's a a very unique story of his life. Um, He was a slave ship captain from England who grew up in great brokenness. He lived a hard life of sin. He had a near-death experience um, as a young man at sea, after which he he turned to God, but he struggled um, to, to live a life of faith. What I did not know... Um, is that the turning point of his faith took place in in a place called Sandy Bay. Sandy Bay is a port just a few miles up the coast from where our missions team will be staying on the island of St. Kitts. There he met another ship captain who was a, a mature believer, a man who discipled him and taught him from Scripture the true nature of God's grace. It was there that John Newton received the inspiration for the poem he would later write that would become the song we call Amazing Grace. Now, I don't believe there's anyone listening to my voice today who believes slavery in any form is okay. When the Bible speaks about slavery, it never commends it. But it recognizes its existence as part of our fallen world, and it provides a framework to function within its broken system. You could say that John Newton was poised to be a recipient of the well-deserved punishments outlined in Psalm 37. But God changed John Newton's heart. It, it was a process. It took time. But eventually, Newton not only got out of the slave trade, he became an outspoken abolitionist who mentored a young member of the British Parliament named Wilbur Wilberforce. And together, they worked to change hearts and minds about the very nature of slavery. And it took the last 20 years of John Newton's life to finally see slavery abolished in the British Empire just months before John Newton died. So while we pray and we work for evil to be pushed back, let's remember that God still transforms people who are evil. He was patient with John Newton. And as a result, tens of thousands never had to experience the bondage of slavery. And if we're honest, he's been patient with us too, hasn't he? I want to give you this thought. In encouraging you to pray for those who do evil if we are following Jesus it's important to remember that we haven't always followed Jesus if we're righteous now there was a time when we were not if we are just now God did a work to get us there if we are blameless now it's because we surrendered our lives to Christ and he took our blame all of this I say because the goal of this song is not to get us excited about the ultimate vanquishing of our enemies instead it's to understand that God is actively working in a world gone mad to redeem people across the spectrum of, uh, spectrum of sin of which every one of us was a part My sin may not be the same as theirs, but all of our sins collectively sent Jesus to the cross. So as the lives of wicked people spiral toward the judgments that this psalm presents, rather than that being a cause for us to look forward to vindication, may it be a call for us to pray that God's mercy will reach them the way it reached us. As I close this morning, um, I want to read from another of my favorite psalms. Psalm 73, which asks a very similar set of questions. The psalmist Asaph in that chapter opened with a series of complaints of all these things that he observed which were just plain wrong. But I love the turning point when he gets to verses 16 and 17. It says when I tried to understand all this we're trying to wrap our brains right now around a world gone mad and we can't do it when I tried to understand all this it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God then I understood then I understood their final destiny. The best part of all this morning is that you have chosen, whether you're here physically or watching online, you have chosen to enter the sanctuary of God. You have chosen today not to be isolated, but to put yourself in a place where life and light and truth can be spoken into your spirit, and you can choose God's way today of responding to the external circumstances around you and by trusting Him and embracing His internal peace. We live in a time that is unlike anything we have ever experienced. This morning, God wants to speak assurance to your heart about external circumstances swirling around you. In just a few moments, we're going to turn our hearts toward a time of prayer. And I'm going to invite you To let the Holy Spirit do a deep work in you today. You'll have an opportunity to come and meet a member of our prayer team and have them minister to you. Even now, our online prayer team is there uh, waiting in the comments section to minister to those who are watching online with us today. Our worship team is about to sing a song called I Am Not Alone. And I want to ask you to do something as as we get ready to move into this time, if you'll stand with me, I'm going to ask you to read with me the last verse of Psalm 37, verse 40. I've tailored this verse to be a prayer declaration. Would you say it with me? The Lord helps me and delivers me. He delivers me from the wicked and saves me because I take refuge in him.